All right, we're here, and I think it's your fourth time here? Yeah, fourth yeah, I think here? so, fourth, yeah. All right, Brian Eggert, Brian knows how we start the show. He has to dedicate it. Brian, what would you like to dedicate this show to? I do have a dedication as well. Okay, uh, yeah, my dedication is to kind of my two, um, the, the two other people behind Deep Focus Review, which is uh, one is my wife, who's my copy editor and uh, just general editor, and uh, then Ray Beam, who is um, been helping me out with some data entry stuff lately and has been a, a huge help um, on the site. So uh, I'm very thankful for both of them. Wonderful. I would like to dedicate this, of course, to uh, just pass away, William Freakin. Sure. Uh, marvelous, rentless, very stubborn filmmaker, has a vision. High, you know when you rented a William Freakin movie, it was going to have energy. Yeah. <laughs> was this going to have solid energy, Absolutely. good or bad? Um, he was not the problem with the movie Jade. I think there was some other manufacturers. Linda was great in that. I like his direction. Yeah. Um, he's not the sole why it, why it didn't do very well. But, um, I, yeah, I really appreciated his work more. And I, it's sad because you appreciate him now that they're gone. You're like, wow, yes, I like Sorcerer and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, this fantastic director. So I actually my- just watched Jade again. Uh, maybe in the last six months, and there's a hell of a car chase in the middle of that movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you're gonna get. Yeah. <laughs> you need one. All right. So let's get it to show started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. Paul Filmcast with your host Nick Palatichuk. Each episode, Nick interviews filmmakers and other artists from the Twin Cities area. I'm Carly Palillo, and thanks for listening and thanks for finding us. Please give us a review and feel free to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And now, lights, camera, action. All right, we're back in the show and we have uh, Brian Eggert from Deep Focus Review. All right. Um, this is kind of interesting because you said you've been busy, but this is kind of like the lull for film critics, kind of like a kind of the little dead area a little bit before things pop up late august early september yeah yeah i mean in terms of new releases i'm i'm definitely not as busy as i normally am um you know there's right. there's not a ton of great stuff in the theater right now um pretty middle of the road kind of stuff um however i am just generally busy from doing podcasts and um yeah i, I keep myself busy with with uh, patreon i'm always kind of uh any lulls that are in new releases like this, I'm always filling with like writing about catalog releases. Yeah. So I've been doing a thing called Soderbergh Summer on on Patreon, where I'm writing every every few weeks about a new Steven Soderbergh movie. Fantastic. Um, and then currently I'm you know just I'm always working on a new essay, and so I'm working on a new essay about uh, Paris, Texas. So a uh, lot to keep me busy. Uh, you have to say is right. It's Velm, not Welm. Velm, right? Uh, Vim Vendors. Vim Vendors. Vim Vendors. Yeah. Have to say it right. Not it, not Wim Wenders. <laughs> yeah. I have to work on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is interesting because that's his first American movie, right? Paris, Texas. Uh, no, it wasn't. He made a movie called uh, Hammett about Dashiell Hammett oh, okay. uh, that was produced by Francis Ford Coppola, and it was kind of a a nightmare production that, um, you know, the movie's fine, I guess, but um it was his first real exposure to kind of the Hollywood system and uh, Francis Ford Coppola just sort of walked all over him. Right. Um, took, unfortunately. So took over the production, which he's, he's more of a creative mind, not really the office kind of maniac. Yeah, a- absolutely. Yeah. He, um, yeah, he was so mad about that production that he went off and made another movie called the state of things, which is about, uh, uh, 
a filmmaker who is basically in that situation. He's he's making a movie and his producer is kind of kind of hanging him out to dry. And, and is that the one with Samuel Fuller's in it? Uh, no, no. Okay. no. Um, I think this is that's an entirely. I think it's an entirely German film. Okay. Um, he just kind of went off and and made it in Europe, uh, in between lulls of filming uh, Hammett, and then he um, and then he uh, came back and made Paris, Texas. And that was, I think, it's eighty four. Right? It was eighty four, yeah. Which is very interesting because it was Harry Dean Stanton, which is kind of weird. He doesn't really speak until what the hour into the movie. Yeah, it takes a while for him to kind of uh, get out of his his catatonia or his his little trauma that he's been in for about five years in that movie. Right. I think if you love the aesthetics of filmmaking as well as slow develop of story, you will like Paris, Texas. Yeah, it's kind kind of a western. They they modeled it after. Um, you know, Vin Vendors and, and Sam Shepard, who who co-wrote the script, um, sort of modeled it after The Searchers, um, where, a, you know, really it's just about a guy wandering and trying to find his family. Um, so just as John Wayne is, you know, looking for his niece, uh, this Harry Dean Stanton character is looking to reconnect with his wife, who's been uh, estranged from him for, for about five years. Um, so it's just kind of this long road movie, uh, similar to the searchers where, you know, they're not on a road, they're just on a trail, I guess. But, um, I would think if I would do a double, if I own a movie theater, I would do a double feature of blood simple and Paris, Texas, blood simple in Paris, Texas. It's just, well, both of them are Texas, kind of a Texas, kind of a Western, but there's this very pastel aesthetic to both of them. Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not think, similar stories, but there's very loneliness about this whole space, but you could be around people, but there's very much loneliness to the whole yeah. construct. The, the landscape is more of a character than anything, really. And kind of uh, kind of a, you know, your Vim Vendors was really obsessed with, with alienation in the early part of his career, and I think um, Robbie Miller's, like, cinematography – you know, there's yeah. lots of neon in it, and there's there's quite a bit of neon, and at least in the club in Blood Simple, if I recall. Um, so it's kind of got those similar similar look. I can see that. Yeah, I think I have, somewhere in my film history books, there's a collage of photos of stills from Paris, Texas, Paris, Texas, that shows this the masterpiece looks of it. Yeah, yeah, and just very that neon, this pulsating kind of movie. It does it does have a heart to it? Yeah, absolutely, it does. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a very moving. You know, any movie that I decide to write about, write an essay about, I always love it to begin with. But then researching it, you know, I'm, I usually I read about at least four or five books and a bunch of scholarly articles uh, to prepare for these essays. Um, I always end up loving it more. It's like, oh, these movies just unfold and keep unfolding. Yeah. And the more you learn about it, the more, you know, they become these really just intertextual works where you can see all their influences and and see where you know what they influenced and uh it's just a really fascinating process uh so where um, i should have started right away but i think i'm going to put the link down people can where can people find your website to see your essays? yeah uh it's deepfocusreview.com or uh patreon.com slash deepfocusreview uh what is the latest thing you have up uh i learned in paris texas well, yeah, Paris, Texas will be coming for the end of the month, and then I just uh, published an essay about uh, Ingmar Bergman's *The Virgin Spring*, oh. um, which is uh, you know horror fans may know it as kind of the the source of uh, *Last House on the Left*. Um, Wes Craven saw *The Virgin Spring* and based on that. Yeah, right. So. Yeah, I'm a little. I haven't. I've only seen five Ingmar Bergman films, and he made up. 
a bunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this one is, I mean, it, 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 if you don't like Bergman's style, this one is very accessible. It's it's kind of um, a revenge story. It's about a young woman who goes um, to put kind of a shrine on a church, and um, she ends up getting stopped uh, by some travelers. Uh, they they rape and kill her, uh, and then they decide to those killers end up lodging at the home of the girl's parents yeah. uh, and the parents quickly realize who these people are and that their daughter is dead and um the father played by max von saito um takes revenge and uh it's a very um it's very violent at times uh it's very disturbing at times but it's also kind of this um you know ingmar bergman didn't have a whole lot of faith in religion so it's very much at this point crux between pagan religions and christianity that's coming out in um in in that part of europe at the time it was a a relatively you know christianity was relatively new in in sweden in the time it's depicting um and so it's kind of in a conversation between these two religions right and um Max von Sydow's character, they, they consider themselves Christians and the, the rapists consider themselves pagans. And um, the Christianity ends up being sort of a, a pretense. And um, once once the main characters find out that, that their daughter is dead, um, they kind of resort to what you would call, what you might think of as like pagan behavior, like violent behavior. So... Um, yeah, it's this interesting conversation between kind of two religions and uh, innate impulses and morality. And, um, and of course, Bergman just makes it all very insightful and layered. Yeah, his violence in movies is not like slasher, like John Carpenter stuff. No, no. It is, it's slow and meticulous, which makes it makes even more uneasy. Like Persona is very, that violence is very, intentionally leave the glass out and watch you step on it. Sure, sure. Um, um, The violence in like cries and whispers of the daughter dying, but you know, some of them don't really give a crap. Yeah, yeah. Um, The the violence in this movie is actually pretty visceral. There's uh, a couple of scenes where, you know, once Vax and Cito unloads on this, on these, this group of travelers, um, I mean, he really unloads. I mean, he's throwing people into fires. He's... He's yeah. using a sword. I mean, it's not, it's probably the most violent thing that Bergman ever shot. Um, and it's fascinating because that's very much not like him. Um, so it's very yeah. much, you know, in some ways it's very much a typical Ingmar Bergman movie. And in other ways it's more modeled off of, he was really obsessed with Akira Kurosawa at the time. So he's watching a lot of these samurai movies. And so he incorporates uh, some of that Kurosawa style action into into this one major scene of violence that's in the movie um yeah it's interesting if you just watch one igmar berman you still have not grasped the whole retrospective right i'm sure if you've seen even you know one of even one of his movies you have to see i've only seen five of them and i feel like i've not seen all to give a full presentation of what he's done right i mean each one is is different in the sense that he's made comedies he's made really you know deep tragedies and just these kind of eviscerating uh dramas black and white strange yeah and but he's got a great use of color uh in fanny and alexander which is one of my personal favorites um probably my f- very favorite of his yeah um so yeah he's got quite a, in, an incredible range um 
you know, you buy that uh, Criterion box set with like 30 some films in it. And most of them are, are quite different from each other um, to the point where you get everything from like a conventional comedy to, uh, you know, a very experimental film like Persona. Um, his range is just fascinating and he was always growing and that's what made him inter- interesting. Yeah. And a very interesting person to read about. Yeah. It's it, it's not bland at all. No, no. He, <laughs> he had a very uh, dramatic life and kind of... Had a weird relationship with his mom. Yeah. Yeah. And his parents weren't weren't uh, the best people. I don't think his no. dad was very, very good to him. Um, had a lot of affairs with a lot of actresses and... Um, yeah. One of them is in Cries and Whispers. Yeah. 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 Liv yeah. Ullman and... Yeah. Well, what the hell? Dario Argento had an affair with that... With, you know, Asia's mom. Sure. Yeah. It seems to be a pattern with directors having, having affairs with their actresses. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, you still go to the theater? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, mostly I'm at, mostly there for press screenings, uh, now. Um, but there are occasionally stuff where I don't get a press screening and I, and I just go pay for it, which is, uh, fine by me. Um, but yeah, I'm going literally every week at this point, uh, a few times a week at least. Yeah. I know we're in late August, so what's kind of your for what's kind of your flavor of what the year's been so far for you? Um, it's been so the, you know I I rate things on a four star scale, and I've probably got maybe like five four star movies so far this year. Okay. Um, and every and there's been a lot of like three and a half star movies where I I really like them. Uh, I thought they were very very good, but just not quite like to that level. You gotta for earn me. it for you, right? Yeah. Um. Uh, you know, like Barbie and Oppenheimer are two movies where, yeah, I really liked them. I didn't love either one. I didn't think either one was a masterpiece. Um, I think they both kind of, you know, had some flaws and I, I just wasn't soaring when I, when I left the theater. Um, but there's been a lot of movies like that and I, you know, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like a 3.5 star movie is, is a little disappointing and it's even more disappointing because it's not, not at that, you know, four star level for me, but, um, so a lot of the movies that I've, you know, ranked four stars are, are, or or that are on kind of the top of my list so far this year are really small, um, indie projects that, uh, you know, are not Hollywood at all. And, um, I, fortunately, I think there's a lot of good stuff coming out in the rest of the year that I'm really excited about, but, but, um, yeah, it hasn't been it hasn't been a great year. Like I, I I'm optimistic for the rest of the year, but um, I've had a lot of personal disappointments. Yeah, I think for the small samples that I've seen, there's a lot about artist process in movies. Yeah. yeah. Um, what I'm mentioning is I, I did like the movie Showing Up. Yeah, that's my no, sh- that's my number one of the year. I really loved it. Yeah. I I, I yeah. If I had to do a top ten, it'd be a top three easily. Yeah. And as part of process of balancing your career. Your personal life, yeah. How to be a salesman, a showman, how to be creative, and jumbling all this, although everything, give them this facade that you know how to do everything. Not to mention, uh, your, your friends are probably having their own show, and they're only worried about their own, themselves. But right, right. It seems that, I love that movie there's, because it shows that there's always, no matter how much you're around people, there's always kind of this disconnect. Absolutely, yeah. Even to, maybe to your own pieces, how people interpret your own artwork differently than what you thought they should be. And then you feel like a failure, but it's a success. But that's not what I want you to perceive it to be. But yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah as a, you know, you probably feel this as well as a creative person. You're <laughs> you're you're jealously, you know, in love with your own art. Um, and I don't know, you know, 
personally as someone who who writes in a in a creative way yeah. or i feel that you know i feel that a, a review is is a form of art um yeah i'm i'm jealously detached to my own art form and that character was so michelle williams character michelle williams character yeah. um was so attached to her her artwork that uh she's kind of prickly and i i really like that about her because i'm that way um i could really relate to this character even though she's kind of unpleasant at times um I found her very relatable, and um, oh, yeah. I thought it was a co- very convincing, completely lived-in performance to the point where she's got these little ticks and just her, you know, whether it's her posture or the way she, she kind of always has a frown on her face. Um, yeah, you know, she, despite Michelle Williams being so distinct, uh, she's a very uh, a particular character in this movie, and uh, she disappears into the role. Yeah, definitely being an out loud character by being holed in. Yeah. You think she's going to blow up eventually. Yeah. But she retains it. And then a lot of, um, I'm talking about movies like uh, Dolly Land uh, with Ben Kinsley. Sure, sure. About Dolly, Salvador Dolly, um, kind of last ends of people trying to get him to work. And he's yeah. on his own, oh, his own wavelength, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, and very, yeah, I, I do like that movie. It's a very solid movie. Um, but it, especially when you do Dolly, you want to see the extravagance. And we just, sure. you see more of a process. I think people, I like that point of view, but I can see that other people want to see the excess and the bizarreness of surrealism lifestyle, but they're not going to get it, especially at the last end. Right. Um, um, I, th- I think Mary Heron is someone who's very interested in kind of this this New York uh, underground scene of artists, and she's yeah. she's made movies about this before. Uh, I think her first feature was I Shot Andy Warhol, which was yes. um, uh, about this scene. And so I think she's very interested in like – people who who shape themselves in a particular way right um, well he definitely did yeah yeah i mean he created his own you know this idea of who salvador dali is um and it's and it's an idea and not an identity for him um yeah very much like bob dylan he created the identity and then yeah. he constantly um kind of rebelled against that identity kind of changing it all the time yeah yeah dali always say dali um yeah. But, you know, she's made other movies like, um, you know, American Psycho or, or Charlie Says, um, which are all about kind of self-styled uh, people who are, are... Grandiose in their mind. Right, right. Or, and they're, they're taking their ego to, an, to a whole other level. Yeah. And uh, that's what I really found fascinating. I know that movie didn't get the greatest reviews, but I, I did like it. Um, I, I'm, I tend to be a fan of Mary Heron's. And just going on my um, analogy of this artist's process, I've seen um, like Willem Dafoe's movie Inside. Sure. Very yeah. much an artist breaking into another's person's being to steal and then it becomes a problem. Yeah. Um, and then we did, we have uh, You Hurt My Feelings about a writer. Yeah. Realizing I, that nobody, people closer don't like her stories. I, I think yeah. that's uh, probably the number three on my list so far this year. Um, I, I really love that one. I'm looking forward to when it's a rental. It's it's on buy right now as we're talking. Sure. But when other people can access it, I think it's going to shoot up and people are going to see it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the end of this month. Um, I, I pre-ordered the Blu-ray, so I, it comes out this month. Um, yeah, I, I thought Julia Louis-Dreyfus was just outstanding in that film. I really love Nicole Holofcener's movies in general. Um, but her... Her pairing with Julia Louis Dreyfus on this and Enough Said, uh, just two two great comedies that they seem really like really simple movies, just walking and talking and yeah. and kind of about nothing in a way. 
um, or at least compared to the average movie that's in theaters right now. Um, just people with everyday problems. And I found that really refreshing. Yeah. You know, you expect big explosion for the summer in action, right. but then you get this movie. It seems nice kind of, a re- and it's about a writer, of course, but of course we're going to like it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But her perception is not always worse. And then she gets caught up to, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, uh, you know, the ride home from that movie, my wife and I were just like, I'm just like, hey, you know, if you ever if you ever think my writing is lousy, please tell me. Um, yeah. And, you know, she's the kind of person who will tell will tell me, like, I, I have no idea what you're trying to convey here or your word choice is wrong or here's what's wrong with your idea uh, even. Um, and that's what I that's what I one of the reasons that I love my wife. <laughs> I think especially if we were in the critique movies, I think you have that like a core one thing that really gravitates to and then you can branch out from it and uh, i like when both and i agree for like when we critiqued um the wild bunch sure. not the wild the wild ones with Mara brando sure that it's more of the phenomenon than rather what you're gonna see on the film critiquing the film in general sure that this thing exploded just because of the concept of the movie and how he was and if you can critique shot frames on how to edit it you're missing the mark of how it's a staple into society now and how sure. prominent it is. And that's sometimes the reveal will get missed if you're just going to critique it as the product rather than how people perceived it at the time. Yeah. There's a couple of schools of thought on that where, you know, a lot of people believe um, there are some critics that I follow that um, don't believe in any, any sort of extra textual uh, input. Like they're not interested in the phenomenon because that's not what's on screen. It's only about what's in front of you. And that's the measure of what makes a good film. Um, I know that I, I reviewed, uh, the wild one, um, maybe a couple years ago and it was the first time I had seen the film and I knew about sort of the iconography of Marlon Brando as a kind of a young hooligan biker. And, um, and I knew about sort of the, the queer community taking ownership of that image and, oh yeah, you can see it definitely in cruising. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, another, yeah, another Friedkin movie. Um, but, uh, yeah. So I had a hard time like appreciating how explosive it could be in the fifties. Right. I mean, I, I, I knew the background and I understood the historical context, but there's a, there's a, a point at which a movie like that, where it's so potent at the time. Um, yes. Yes. I understand that in the fifties, you know, the, the, young bikers were an issue and teen violence was an issue, but is that really having an impact on me today? Not, not really. It's more just like it becomes a, a product of history, yeah. um, which is fascinating in itself. Um, but at the same time, I have to admit that it doesn't have like the, the same universal emotions that are hitting me the same way that it would say uh, a teenage viewer in the 1950s, you know? Right. Um, Cause I would say, because I'm going in a couple of weeks we're going to critique on our Kyle on our YouTube channel with Kyle Gothi okay. to live and die in L.A. and that was such a present time of '85. Sure, yeah. Where now it's a retrospective, but you understand how fresh and new and like everything cutting edge of editing and car chasing and dialogue and yes, yeah. um, counterfeiting and all that stuff and how to make it and all that stuff and how the, all that was a mixture of so 
1985 that even i think billy freaking goes i don't think anybody's gonna appreciate this three years from now because it's such a present of that time right and there are certain things where it's like oh yeah we're in the 80s it's got a wang chung you know score which kind of rocks and um but there are other elements of that where it's just so it's so visceral and elemental that it's just timeless like uh you know i i watched this movie uh just after the the day actually they announced Friedkin's death, I, I revisited to live and die in LA, uh, the 4K uh, Kino Lorber Blu-ray that that just came out. I don't uh, think anybody's sitting still at once in the movie. Uh, it's such a it's such a yeah crazy, constantly moving, just insane movie. And William Peterson is just like. You know, exuding <laughs> machismo. He, he does. I don't think he sits still when he's sitting down. <laughs> right, right. He's he's just a force of energy, and uh, it's such an engaging movie. Whereas, right. you know, just as a comparison, you know, the wild the wild one feels. I don't know. It it feels like a like a work of history. Whereas, yeah. uh, Whereas to live and die in L.A. feels urgent, and uh, even though things are dated, it, you know, you can't help but get caught up in it. You know. Uh, is there a movie right out, out um, that hasn't been mentioned that you kind of want to kind of sure um, champion? Um, you know, you could watch this. I think on AMC Plus if you have that, or, or otherwise it's available to rent. But it's called RMN, and it's by uh, Christian Munju. He's a Romanian filmmaker, and um, it's about a small town in in Romania where um, there are some some workers from i believe they're from sri lanka who okay. come in and they're working in a bread factory and the townspeople some of the townspeople don't want these workers there uh because they're you know they're xenophobic and and frankly racist um and it's kind of like a pot slow slow burning pot boiler movie where yeah. um the main character is sort of working to get these people out and an He's also having an affair with sort of the the boss of these workers, um, who obviously wants to keep them there. Um, people are you know kind of vandalizing where these guys live. Uh, they're afraid for their li- the workers are afraid for their lives, and it all kind of culminates in this very long. I want to say I forget the exact length, but I want to say like ten minute single shot town hall meeting where everybody comes to this town hall and they're all kind of laying out their reasonings um and it's very fascinating and they're speaking uh, multiple languages uh, multiple dialects of languages which you can tell by the way the subtitles are colored um and you get kind of the idea that this is just sort of a uh, a melting pot of different cultures that um have have a long history with one another and have a history of like immigration and people coming in and kind of coming in from other countries and, and just being adopted over time. But then now they're being isolation, sort of isolation against these people from Sri Lanka. So, um, it's a very, it's a very interesting look at, uh, humanity at its worst, unfortunately. Uh, and it's very fascinating. And, uh, if you've seen, uh, four months, three weeks, two days or, uh, graduation, uh, is it great? Yeah, I think it's called graduation. Um, uh, this this director is a uh, just a a master at creating tension on a very realistic situations in uh, Romania throughout throughout history. This one takes place now, but um, 
it's based on a true story, uh, I guess. Okay, uh, what's it? What's it called? Because I do have AMC Plus. Uh, RMN. Okay. Um, and that that stands for I, I'm not you know uh, I'm not a medical doctor, but it stands for basically the um, the technology that people use to uh, take a picture of the brain and kind of kind of like. All right. uh, like layered pictures of the brain uh so it's this met- this kind of i don't know i don't know if the metaphor works but um uh this metaphor of a title is just looking at the many layers of kind of the the community of this this small romanian town um it's a really fascinating movie kind of the thing that sort of thing that i love where like i said it's just got layers and the more you keep pulling peeling away at it the more it reveals where did you? How'd you find this? Did you get a press release for this? I've never heard about it. Um, it was showing at. Uh, it's an IFC Films release. Okay. Um, they put up great stuff. Yeah, uh, and it showed at the Minneapolis St. Paul International oh, Film Festival. Oh, okay, all right, yeah. Um, and I, I saw it there, and then it came out uh, not too long after that. I'm sure it'll be, you know, like Criterion Collection has released a bunch of Christian Munju's movies, three of them, I think. Um, and so I'm sure it'll be out on Criterion at some point. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so far, it's, I think my number two movie of the year right now. Um, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. Uh, before we go to the break, do you want to give us your number one? Uh, number one was showing up. Okay. Was it? Yeah. 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 All right. right. Yeah, absolutely. It was. (laughs) Do you want to give us our number two before we go to break? Uh, I think number two was, uh, you hurt my feelings. Number three was RMN. And four was Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I'm a I'm a big you know I grew up reading Judy Bloom, and um, Kelly Freeman Craig who directed this. She also made um, Edge of Seven The Edge of Seventeen with uh, Haley Steinfeld a few years back. Yes. Uh, great great teen movie. Um, this was just a perfect adaptation of of a Judy Bloom book, and it just. Hit all the right notes. Hit right? all the right notes. It just it makes you laugh. It makes you cry. I mean, it was just, yeah, it was, it was a perfect study of like that that sort of age when you're like uh, 11, 12 and just hitting puberty and things are super awkward and, um, you know, just dealing with things in a very mature way that it didn't get a lot of press because I think, you know, we're living in a in a Christian world here and in, in the United States and uh, they don't want to talk about these things. And this is what, one of the reasons that the the book was banned, that it just deals with like teenage, right. teenage puberty and, and sexuality and religion in a very frank, honest way. And a lot of people are afraid of that and they just don't want to, they don't want to talk about that. So it didn't do very well at the box office, but I haven't heard a single person who hasn't seen this movie and absolutely loved it. It's um, super funny and, and uh, very, very touching. Wonderful. All right. Yeah. Uh, with that, that's a perfect time for us to take a break, and we'll be back with more. All right. Hi, this is Mouse. I'm Weens. And we are two sisters with the Mouse and Weens podcast. Nice and clear. <laughs> Come take a listen. It's fun. We talk about life, love, and pubic hair. Sick. <laughs> and all sorts of fun family memories and stuff. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> We're on all the platforms, and we hope you take a listen. Bye. Welcome back, and now more with the show.
Okay, we're back. Now, both of you and I, and we're just uh, talking about it on the break, we both really enjoyed the latest Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. And I know it got a lot of sour from people. And I think people who, I think you really enjoy it. Give it a, give it a, give it a shot. Understand this is not the 80s anymore. Yeah, 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 they're not, you, you know, they use a lot of, and, and also remember, I think that, you know, they were using special effects in the 80s, and I think a lot of people have issues with CGI or kind of the fantasy elements, but, you know, think about The Last Crusade. There aren't catacombs in Venice. Venice is a city on the water. There aren't underground catacombs. There, you know, okay. there aren't uh, melting faces and kind of, you know, these these christian ghosts coming out of out of you know the the ark of the covenant or or the holy grail you know we yeah. we dealt with we've dealt with magic and we've dealt with fantasy in these movies before so element- and there's a, i like the element in the story that sometimes he fails up yeah yeah <laughs> just by chance he just saves himself absolutely yeah. i think there's kind of an argument uh in about the raiders of the lost ark that i've read where you could take Indiana Jones out of the film and everything would still happen the same way. Yeah. Um, you know, the, he doesn't really stop anything from happening. They, if he was the journey, yeah, he, he, you know, if he wasn't there, the Nazis would still find the Ark of the covenant and wipe themselves out. They'd wipe. Yeah, exactly. End of movie. Um, so, uh, you know, you just kind of have to look at these things with a grain of salt, I think, and, and just accept that, yeah, you're not going to get a movie from the '80s, but you know you're getting a you're seeing Harrison Ford having a lot of fun. Uh, I think and the uh, latest one, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're dealing with it. I think some. I just love it that he was a known hippie in the late '60s when he was in college, sure. and he loved all that stuff. And now he's a curmudgeon. Turn the Beatles down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was a big fan of them. <laughs> so, I think that's the tra- the trajectory of a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, I think James Mangold he did a great job. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, Mangold's very—he's he, a solid director. I, I um, yeah, I, I really, don't think it, everybody misses. Well, we critiqued a while back, Copland, mm-hmm. and I really still like Copland. Yeah, yeah. Copland's a, a great movie. I think uh, one of the few like truly legit Sylvester Stallone performances, um, where he's actually like really doing e- it, extending himself yeah. beyond you know just being a bag of muscle which is usually what he is i know but it's, it's a great movie how he's a the punching bag throughout the whole movie yeah he's not rambo or rocky which he really is a punching bag in the movie yeah. but he's a, he's being bullied yeah to yeah. the point where yeah uh, it's an interesting choice as a as an actor for him to do that and i'm not sure he, you know he never really did anything like that again um which is unfortunate because I think he has shows a lot of range in that performance, and um, he kind of went back to, you know, doing typical action movie stuff after that with Expendables and you know Get Carter and all this stuff that that came out. That's I don't know seems beneath him once you see that level of talent. I know. I remember when Copland came out in '97. This is kind of offshoot, and then Robert De Niro was in Copland too. Yeah. And Sylvester said, Robert De Niro gave him a little note. It's a lot of fun to gain the weight. It's a pain in the butt to, to lose it. Yeah, yeah. And then he sent him a slice of cheesecake <laughs> with, the, with that note attached. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, well, I mean, uh, Stallone is, you know, he's in, in incredible shape even today. Like, yeah. he just, he he uh, he did a bunch of Rocky movies and, and Rambo movies after that. Oh, he, crap. I think him and De Niro did that boxing movie. Didn't they, like, going 
going around with something. Remember that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do vaguely And there was a love triangle that. with Kim Basinger. Oh, boy. Boy, that was forgettable. Uh, yeah, what was that? The <laughs> De Niro boxing movie. Boy, that just deleted from my memory banks. I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I'm glad. I'm, I'm sure they appreciate that it did. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, I think James Mangold was a perfect fit for it. So do I. Yeah, I think, um, you know, just don't, don't expect Raiders of the Lost Ark, but just go in for a good adventure and that's what you're going to get. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is there some that um, other on your list you want to give a shout out to that we haven't mentioned before? Uh, yeah. I, or you haven't mentioned on your show? Yeah. Uh, Past Lives is another one that I think people should check out. Uh, I think that oh, comes God, out. I think everybody in our Film Critics Alliance love it. Yeah. It's just, it's, I, I have no doubt that it's going to be one of the better movies of the year on on uh, the critics alliance the minnesota well hopefully they can remember i haven't seen it yet but it seems like it's something that should be retained people's memory when the nominations come out yeah i think so i think it's it's on a lot of the top of a lot of people's list it's definitely near the top of mine um is the premise like she meets somebody from high school days and then she figure out she wishes like scenarios like what this could happen or something like that kind of um so they advertise it as like sort of a uh a missed romance like the this woman she grew up in south south korea and um immigrated to canada and then uh got her career started in new york and um kind of keeps in touch with her first boyfriend from south korea and the way that they advertise it is a little deceptive and even the way some people i think write about it is a little deceptive in that oh it's really about longing and like wishing wishing you could have been wishing you could go back into the past and kind of access this older version of yourself and it, and isn't this all very romantic and aching i found it more about I, this one woman's identity and how she is a product of her past but you can never really go back and become somebody that you were before and how there are kind of layers to identity in the sense that yes she comes from south korea uh yes she lived in canada for a while and now she's a new yorker she's not entirely one of those things she's not entirely south korean she's not entirely a new yorker um she's just who she is and there are aspects to that that um that are really fascinating and that they actually talk about in the film where you know well what if this happened well what if that happened well that's the reality is is that's not going to happen and, and we just have to deal with who we are um, you can never go back to who you were as, as a teenager. Or, You're not Superman. Right, right. Um, so I, I think the way that it dissects this character's identity is really fascinating and very poetic and just beautifully acted and beautifully written. Um, so yeah, I'm sure it'll be definitely on my top ten list by the end of the year. Really? It has yeah. that much power? Absolutely, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. And like I said, everybody, other, the other members of the Minnesota Film Critics Alliance and – I've mentioned that's in that's gonna probably stay. Absolutely. Um yeah, I think it, it resonates with a lot of people and it's kind of a movie that doesn't seem like it's that flashy or anything, but it just has a way of creeping up on you and just sort of uh laying you bare by the end. You know, you don't realize how impactful it all was until the hours and days pass afterward and you're still thinking about it. Yeah. Uh there is a movie I am looking forward to. I'm waiting t- for it to get distribution it's been kicking around the film festival circuit it's late night late night i haven't heard of uh, this if i can pull it up one second so it's called late night with the devil okay um written directed by cameron carnes um and his wife colin carnes i'm thinking maybe they're married sure i haven't really researched it 
But yeah, it's about um, they need to fill a slot for a late night gate, late night show like David Letterman and Johnny Carson, and yeah. the devil shows up, and then oh, interesting, that's awful news. But it got wonderful accolades by South by Southwest. Oh, okay. I think it got into the Toronto Film Festival. Um, it might seem it's going to be. I remember remember the movie Daniel isn't real. Yeah, and that got kicked around major film festivals until it got distribution, and we were never able to see it till late the spring of the next year. So I think late night with the devil until the end of the year find some way to get distribution probably won't see it till next spring. Sure, but people are seeing it saying it's just a fantastic. It's like the mixture of the ending like Joker, sure, or something like that, and it's just it's going to be like carnage, like Kings of Comedy kind of a thing. Yeah, sure. Um, sounds like something that maybe would get picked up by Shutter and put on Shutter. You have that? Yeah, or maybe Blumhouse wants to take a ride for it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But it seems it's just going to be a scratchy, very much like late seventies scratchy kind of a. Oh, okay. Gritty persona, but so is it horror or is yeah, it? Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's a All horror right. movie. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and that sounds. The devil good. shows up to fill in the slot. Yeah. Or somebody claiming to be the devil. And... Oh sure. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff coming out the le- in the last half of the year that I'm pretty really? excited about. Yeah. Um, Scorsese's, you know, Killers of the Flower Moon is probably number one on my list and has been for over a year um if you've ever i don't know if you have you, have you read this book i've never read this book right no. um fascinating story uh it's about it's a true story about um some native americans on a plot on a reservation that find that they have oil um and that oil gets tapped and they you know make a make a lot of money from that um the U.S. government decides that uh, these tribes are not are not human enough, basically, to manage their own um, their own finances from this. Right, and so they appoint it's like the Mel Brooks being the governor of Blaine Saddles. Uh, sure, yeah, little children they can't handle. It, right? right, it's yeah, it's very much like that. Um, so they appoint kind of like an advisor, like a like a white male advisor over these over basically each family. And so the rule is, is that um, should that family, should that family line end, then the advisor would end up getting whatever, you know, billions or millions that they get from this oil. So these, in real life, these advisors realize that, oh, all we have to do is kill these families to get all their money. Um, And so gradually people start to disappear or get mysteriously poisoned or um, have accidents and... um, yeah, it's this huge, really disturbing conspiracy. Um, Showing the ugliness of, yeah. Marty yeah. doesn't mind getting dirty. No. Showing no. the ugliness of life. Yeah, yeah. He's been doing that since since the yeah. 60s and 70s. Um, so, yeah, it, it looks fantastic. The trailers look amazing. Um, the source material couldn't be more relevant or, or you know, potent. Um I'm just dying to see it. I can't. It's over three hours long. I think it's like three hours and ten minutes or three hours and twenty minutes long. Well, there's a lot of content to go over, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro are in it. So two, you know, Marty's two uh, two big actors are joining forces for the first time. I think so. Well, not the first time. There was a boy's life in the '90s, but um, rejoining. Rejoining. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that looks great. Uh, I'm really excited about that. What's some other ones? Do you have another one? Uh, yeah. Um, Bertrand Bonello. He's a. Uh, I think he's a French filmmaker. He might be Belgian. Um, 
let's say French. Uh, Bertrand Ranallo is uh, a, a great filmmaker. He's made, um, oh, what did he make? He made uh, Nocturama, uh, Zombie Child. Uh, no- okay. Nocturama is a great movie if you haven't seen that. So is Zombie Child. But um, it's a the new movie he's making is called uh, The Beast. It's playing at, I think it played at the Cannes Film Festival. And then um, it's also playing at TIFF. But it's a science fiction movie. I don't really know much about the plot. They're kind of keeping it. That's the word that you put in your title. I'm going to go see it. The Beast. Yeah. 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 Um, it's got uh, Leah Seydoux and um, I think, I believe Vincent Cassell. Um but really anything with Bertrand Bonello involved, I'm I'm there. Um, and him working on science fiction is, is extremely exciting. Um, otherwise, what else? There's uh, Jonathan Glazer. If you, he made Under the Skin and Birth. Oh, yes. And Sexy Beast. Um, he's I, got, love, I love Under the Skin yeah. and Sexy Beast. Yeah. Um, Very much not, not, not take your mom <laughs> kind of movie. No, right? no. There's some very, very serious tones to it but i love his his he just lets everything stew and marinate for a while his stories yeah yeah he's uh he's a very interesting filmmaker he's only, he's not you know prolific he's only made three films in 23 years or four films now in 23 years sexy so, beast is so it's it's surreal what it needs to be yeah and it's gr- it's so gritty realism but it advances this dreamlike sequence and yeah. then the end is like, what the hell? But it makes sense. <laughs> sort of, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of Sexy Beast. I yeah. love just the, the atmosphere of it. Um, and Ray Winstone in general, I'm a big fan of. But uh, his new film is called Zone of Interest. And um, it's based on a, on a book um, about Germans during, uh, during the Holocaust who are sort of apathetic toward what's going on around them. Um. I you know have no illusions uh, about about the story being anything about. Um, I, I feel like it's already going to be a metaphor about like how we're treating the the planet and how we're just sort of apathetic to all the problems around us or or the increasingly right wing politics and that are, that are cropping up around us and, and a lot of people are just are very like oh I'm just gonna blase yeah yeah, yeah. and um, and that's what it's that's what it's about so I have a feeling that. We're going to deal with some very unflinching imagery kind of on the side and then deal with people who are kind of awful and ignoring those problems. He has a sense of, for his movies, that on the above the surface, everything looks calm, but on below, there's severe undercurrent of turmoil. Sure, yeah. Whether yeah. In, Like, under the skin, it takes a long time. Cause like, what the hell am I seeing here? It looks very right. surreal, bizarre. And you love the sur- surrealism aesthetics. Yeah. But then the tone of what's really going on, like, oh, my God, this is not <laughs> – it's hard to digest. It is. Uh, yeah. All of his films, you know, I'm a big – this is maybe the theme of this episode, but uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of just layers in movies and being able to take movies apart. It's kind of – you know what I do. Uh, so his movies usually have all these kind of layers to them and, and, uh, it's more than just surface level stuff. Um, it's not like David Mamet where his characters dialogue, hold the cards. It's very like how you figure out what the game is. Right. It's always a kind of a scheming kind of game. He's very out there, but there you have to be, you almost have to do an investigation yourself of what's being transpired as well. Yeah, it's yeah. Very participatory. You're not much a viewer. You almost like you have to investigate what's going on. Yeah, they're very engaging in the sense that yeah. you, you can't be a passive viewer. Yeah. No, no. Um, so 
uh, as, you know, as an animation fan, you, you're probably excited about uh, Hayao Miyazaki's new film, The Boy and the Heron. This has been a long time talking about it, right? Yeah, yeah it's finally coming out. It's debuting at uh, TIFF and you know next month, so um, should come out before the end of the year. Looking forward to that. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, on a side note, that Studio Ghibli is kicking out their movies in theaters to go see them because a lot of people maybe in their twenties have never seen those movies in theaters. Right. And even me, I've never really seen those in the theaters. It's kind of interesting to give an opportunity to see those animation on film in the theater. Yeah, Looks yeah. Like that one. I think it was um, probably the mid '90s when he started to really become popular in the u.s yeah um so like things you know my neighbor totoro or or kiki's delivery service yeah they i don't think they were shown really in in the u.s or if they were it was very you know maybe in the coastal cities they were shown um but it wasn't really until like princess mononoke like i remember that showed um like at the white bear township theater um and i saw that back in you know, 97 or whatever it was and spirited away. That was a big deal. I saw that in the theater and, um, Ponyo, you know, just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so he, he's been around since the the late nineties, at least in the U S but since the, I guess, seventies in Japan, he has a little more patience making his stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's not, he's, I mean, he doesn't rush things. He's using computers, but he's not, you know, he's still doing hand-drawn animation and, uh, you know, doing doing it cell by cell, so that's admirable. Um, I don't know. I haven't heard of the radar. I'm interested about this GameStop film. Uh, oh, I haven't heard about this. Oh, the movie about GameStop. Um, the the, stop the video market. game. Yeah, no, GameStop, the store, and they're, they're yeah, using yeah. the stock market. Oh, sure, sure. Um, Mario, I think Miles Tellerman's in that. Oh, okay. So I've seen the release for that. I'm kind of interesting how they're going to do that because we all know the outcome. I, it's kind of challenging to do a movie when we already know the outcome is going to happen, what you're going to do, because you already know the ending. Yeah. Um, I haven't heard anything about Brian Egg, um, uh, Robert Eggert doing Nosferatu. Um, right, yeah. Uh, I know that – I don't think they're shooting it yet, but I know that they've got a cast lined up. And I think the strike is kind of – they were ready to go, and I yeah. think the strike has put everything on hold. Yeah. So I, I think it's still go with that, but they're not. They're still not in production, still in pre-production about that. Yeah, I'm wondering if I wonder who the I don't know off the top of my head, but I wonder who the production company is because I know that like A24, for instance, and Neon have made deals with uh, SAG-AFTRA and and the WGA to continue um, working to continue working. So that maybe you know we're lucky and and that's one of the ones that are continuing, but um, I'm not 100 percent sure in the studio at this point. Is there any ones you know that are coming up for this year? Um, yeah, besides the ones I mentioned, let's see. Uh, maybe Denis Villeneuve's, uh, you know, Dune 2. Um, hopefully we'll get it. Hopefully we'll get it. Um, I don't know. Who knows what's going on over at Warner Brothers these days? Um, it's a, it's a, if you know the second half of the book, it's action. Yeah. It's a lot of setting up. When you do a sci-fi, you have to do a lot of world building, and that book takes a lot of real building. But here you're going to get your action. Yeah, um, I'm a little, you know, I, I really liked the the first Dune. I was a little um, hesitant to like devote my heart to it because I wanted to see the second half before I got like so invested. Yeah. So I feel like if Dune two is as good as Dune one, it's going to be a major like science fiction milestone. Um, and if it's not, it's going to be disappointing as hell because I really loved as a huge fan of the book. Uh, I've read it, you know, yeah, co- especially the showdown at the end takes place in the Coliseum. 
in the movie, it's in the Emperor's throne. Sure, yeah. yeah. But then in the book, it's in the Colosseum with Raid, uh, Raid I think. Yeah, sure. And Paul Moadib. Um, yeah, I and the whole idea that it's that that fight is in black and white. I don't know how I feel, but like I don't know. Just I'm I'm reservation. I have reservations. I want it to be great. I hope it's great. I trust Dennis. Dennis yeah. will understand. Yeah, yeah. What he wants to do with that. Yeah, Very um, interesting what they're going to do with that one. But it looks like it's going to be much more your action oriented. Absolutely. Um, I know Richard Linklater has a new movie. Um, okay, here called, we go. Uh, Hitman, and it's got um, boy. Now I forgot his name. He was in. Uh, he was already in a Linklater movie. He was in Everybody Wants Some, and uh, he was in Top Gun Maverick. I can picture his face. Why can't I think of his name? Um, okay. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So it's it's about a you know as the title suggests it's about a hitman. Um, so Linklater can you know do it. Yeah. He's pretty great. Um, he can do wrong. I was about to say he can't do wrong. He can do wrong. He's made some bad movies, but yeah. hopefully this will be a good one. Um, yeah, the new Yorgos Lanthimos movie. Oh, here we go. Because I really love what he does. Yeah. Um, there is um deeply psychological damage to all his characters. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, his new movie is called Poor Things, and it's kind of a, I guess it's a take on Frankenstein. Uh, it's got Emma Stone and uh, Willem Dafoe, among others, in it. And uh, it looks really kind of out there science fiction. Uh, it doesn't look like a typical Frankenstein adaptation. It seems to take place in no particular time whatsoever. Um, some of it looks in the future. Some of it looks in the, in the yeah. past. I've been a champion of Lobster. It's hard to recommend Dogtooth because the content. Yeah. It's aesthetically very interesting. It is, yeah. Um, I did love Lobster was very unique. Uh, Killing a Sacred Deer was just so bizarre, so surreal. Yeah. Especially when you went in the theater and you, and you didn't even know what was going to happen. And boom, open heart surgery right in your face. You're like, yeah. what? God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I did like the favorite. I understand the flavor for that. Yeah. yeah. He does yeah. like to set the camera down and just go. He's yeah. uh he's a fascinating director with a interesting perspective. So I'm sure I'm sure whatever poor things ends up being, it'll be just uh, bizarre. Lovingly dis distasteful bizarre. I love it. Yes, yes. Uh the fact that he's getting major studios to back his work is is yeah. Um gives me faith in the film industry. He follows my number one rule with creative endeavors. Don't write safe. And he doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, uh, Ryosuke Hamaguchi is back. He's got a, uh, he made drive my car, um, yeah. which uh, got an Oscar, I believe uh, a couple of years ago for, for best international feature. Um, and then uh, the wheel of fortune and fantasy, which was actually released the same year. Uh, he's got a movie called evil does not exist. I have no idea what this one's about, but uh, just his name's attached. So I'm, Let's I'm interested. Right. Let's go yeah. with it. Um, and then, you know, there's Napoleon, the Ridley Scott epic that's coming out with Hawkwind Phoenix playing yeah. Napoleon. Yeah. That should be interesting. Um, I'm a big, I do like when Ridley swings with a big bat. Yeah. Um, he did that with, uh, Orlando Bloom, in, uh, in the, the kingdom, of, kingdom of heaven, yeah. kingdom of heaven and a lot of, and he takes big swings and sometimes he misses, but he, I like his attempts to go on, step of the plate and swing with the big bat. Sometimes it's a fall ball. 
sometimes a home run, and this probably is going to be a home run. Yeah. Um, have you ever seen The Duelists, his first feature? Yeah. Um, a long time ago, though. Yeah. Um, gr- great movie. I, I, I Personally, I think it's one of his best. But, uh, again, another movie set in kind of the Napoleonic era um, with Harvey Keitel and, and Keith Carradine and um, him returning to that era of, you know, just – costumes and and grand grand landscapes uh, um i'm excited for it we're yeah. gonna have a slow tracking shot aren't we of napoleon invading russia or something like that right sure now. yeah yeah <laughs> uh, yeah I, I mean you know hollywood has been trying whether it's stanley kubrick or steven spielberg has been trying to make like a napoleon epic uh i think for, even hell orson Welles orson wells wanted to do napoleon movie yeah I, a, a lot of a lot of filmmakers have tried and failed to make one, and I think it's uh, Abel Gantz's, um, I think it's a French version. I think it's like a five-hour movie that, that a lot of people are aspiring to. Um, I, I Personally, I haven't seen it, but uh, I know that a lot of filmmakers really hold that in high regard and consider it one of the, one of the best films ever made. So I um, have to maybe check that out before release Scott's film. Well, thanks again, Brian, for coming, man. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely it was. Um, before we go, uh, how can people find your website? Uh, yep, I'm at deepfocusreview.com, um, at, at deepfocusreview on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Letterboxd, and then uh, patreon.com uh, slash deepfocusreview. We'll definitely put the links down below. Uh, and you want to get your chance to what to see what you want to see what Brian looks like. You can catch him on Care Eleven Saturday mornings, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, forget to mention that beforehand. We should, but <laughs> we'll definitely put in the bio. So, thanks again, Brian, for coming talking movies. I'll always like talking movies with you. Absolutely, yeah, yeah me yeah. too. Thanks. Um, as you know, it's not over till the guests say it's over. It's over. <laughs>